Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the show on the Nerd Party Network that examines the influences and different creative pathways of Star Wars creators. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we have a special treat in store for you. We're not going to target any specific work by anybody, but we're going to talk about two things that have to do with direction, uh, and that is going to lead into actually a long-term project that is going to uh, be something that you can join along with us. But before we get into these things, you can find the Nerd Party, of course, on Twitter at Join Nerd Party. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. And we're also the Nerd Party on Instagram. Use the hashtag GreatShotKid. Let us know that you're watching and thinking about the show. We're happy to interact with you. And if you want to interact more directly, you can go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, look up GreatShotKid, and drop us a line. So all of that said, Mike, it seems that the question of who's directing a Star Wars movie is never a settled debate. And this <laughs> this is an interesting thing because... We've actually covered the works of some Star Wars directors who later didn't become Star Wars directors anymore. Uh, Just or once lost. or twice. Yeah. Or three times. Or four times. Four times. You know, I, I made this joke elsewhere. The thrill's gone now. Now when they release, you know, it's, oh, the director and we have parted ways. I just, eh, Okay. Uh, you kind of expect it at this point. It's like, you know, oh, oh yeah. he just got the, you know, like seriously, we just talked about Stephen Daldry. And I, in the back of my mind is, well, we'll see. We'll see if he yeah, makes it. like he isn't even signed yet, you know? Right. They're, they're just having discussions at this point. Uh, but, of course, what everybody has been talking about is Colin Trevorrow. Trevorrow, Trevorrow, however you pronounce his last name. Uh, he's out as the Star Wars Episode Nine director. I guess the first canary in the coal mine was when they talked about how they were going back to the drawing board and rewriting the script. So what's your reaction, Mike? Um, I was definitely surprised. I mean, not, not necessarily because, you know, I thought that Trevorrow was like a slam dunk choice by any stretch of the imagination, but just because, for one thing, he's been working on it forever, you know, but secondly, like, with all of the stuff that's happened, there's definitely been a lot of publicity which was maybe not publicity that Lucasfilm wanted in this regard. And I feel like they would give anyone who was working on one of these movies the absolute benefit of the doubt just because the fallout would be so bad on so many levels from a PR standpoint. Is it, though? Lucasfilm only has... Two movies released in in the post uh, Disney buyout era, so the post Lucas era has seen two movies released, and there's been more news about director problems. But is it really going to keep people out of the seats? I mean, PR wise, it hurts them if they want to hire somebody. Maybe. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because yeah, you're right. Everyone will go see Star Wars because the the diehard fans will see it regardless because it's star wars and the casual fans won't care about these behind the scenes right things. and 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 the thing is i think rogue one up to this point 
proves that sort of imperviousness because we could later find out that they reshot 90% of the movie, but there are people who literally have been saying it's the best Star Wars movie you know, since Empire or ever overall or, or, or something like that. So what reason does Lucasfilm have to care? Why, why would they care? You know, that like people are still praising them. People still think the, the product is great. It seems only to make a difference to people like us who pay attention to these things. And I'll also mention, um, I always butcher the pronunciation, Taiki Watiti, the director of Hunt for the Wilder People and the upcoming Thor Ragnarok, yeah. actually tweeted out. Somebody said, oh, Taiki Waititi should direct the next Star Wars movie. And he actually tweeted out, lulls, I like to complete my projects. Mm-hmm. He's, he has proactively gone out and told Lucasfilm not to bother calling him, basically. Yeah. There's yeah, there's a lot of people like of course, you know, every every person who sort of like falls into that category's name has been mentioned. You know, at one point someone was like, They should get Jordan Vote Roberts, you know, the guy who did Kong Skull Island and he's like, I'm gonna point you to this article right here you know, and there's like some interview where he's like uh says like, I don't care if you offered me a new Star Wars movie, I would rather do Metal Gear Solid, which is the movie he's working on. So he's like, I don't want it. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to do this. You know, will they ever make a movie with Brad Bird now since him and, and Colin Trevorrow were besties? I'm guessing probably not. Well, well, ju- just to call back to a story you've shared here on the show, like he's the one that first put Trevorrow's name in the hat all the way back for episode seven to act as like a proxy for him mm-hmm. because they have, you know, similar sensibilities and and. Then he later backed up and said, oh, that's just, that's insane. That wasn't that wouldn't work anyway. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this automatically locks Brad Bird out. You would think. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows how Hollywood works and how relationships are and all that stuff. But, yeah, it, it's going to be tough for them to get, you know, people to, to commit now because they're not going to want to go through the potential embarrassment, you know, or the 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 potential waste of time, you know, even if it is, you know, I mean, certainly there are going to be people who are going to say like, look, I, it's star Wars. I need to take a chance because it's star Wars. Right. And there are going to be other, I think more established veterans who are like, I've done this a million times before. I know exactly what I'm doing and I can handle this and you know, whatever. But that's not super exciting to me. You know, like the whole Trevorrow thing, that in a way, you know, he is the guy, aside from J.J., who they've hired, who's had the most experience with a massive blockbuster. You know, Ryan Johnson hasn't made any massive blockbusters. He's just made, you know, a ton of really high-quality things, you know, and, and, you know, Gareth Edwards, it's like Godzilla is Godzilla, and that's great and all, but, you know... Trevorrow is the guy who did Jurassic World, you know? It's like, I proved myself here. And you know? it may be in vogue to uh, to trample all over Jurassic World. Pardon the the uh, the, the illusion there, but it's, it's a good movie. It, yeah. it does what it sets out to do. It, it's, uh, it's, you know, self-aware. It has a good time with it. Uh, and it even has Poe Dameron in it. So you would have had an actor that has worked with the director before, you know, one, one of your your three primaries, and it's just, you know, I don't know, man. 
yeah I, I don't know like as far as like you know Trevorrow leaving like there's a lot of people now who are like good I was worried about him and I, and I think a lot of that stems from Book of Henry which to me is super bizarre I know that you know we talked about that you know with Nick right here on this show but it's like yeah I mean just to, to kind of like reiterate that like he makes Jurassic World. I say, "Hey, Jurassic World was good." And and I and I recently watched Jurassic World again and I actually liked it more the second time that I saw it than I did the first time I saw it. But at the same time, you say, "Well, the director of Jurassic World is going to be, you know, directing episode 9." And I'm like, "That is so boring because it's so safe." Well, apparently, uh, not, but because it's so safe. You know, it's it's you know exactly what you're going to get. And that's something which which does not excite me. But then he makes Book of Henry, which everyone talks about being incredibly terrible. And it's not incredibly terrible. It's just bad. But it's bad in the weirdest way imaginable. And that, to me, made me much more excited about the prospects of Episode Nine because it showed me that this guy was capable of doing something outside of the box and bringing something very unique and crazy to the table. And now that you know, the, the idea that that is something which is sort of like a red flag for people doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, No, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, I, you know, I will actually point to, uh, you know, safety not guaranteed. I want him on the smaller scale stuff to try stuff. Okay, it works with safety not guaranteed. I haven't seen Book of Henry yet, but, I, you know, I did listen to you and Nick talk about it. You go over to Book of Henry. Oh, he tried these things and it didn't work. Good. He tried them here. He learned his lesson. You know, you've seen, okay, he's got these two good movies here and then he tried something and he finds out that the experiment didn't quite work. So he's not going to carry that forward. He's going to say, eh, that didn't really work for everybody. So I know not to pursue these sorts of paths in this film. And I think that people lose sight of the fact that filmmaking can be an experiment sometimes. You're trying something different otherwise you just get somebody who just makes the same thing over and over again you know it's really weird because i was thinking about this when book of henry came out and there was all this talk of like will book of henry cost trevorrow um episode nine and i was like josh trank he makes chronicle people love it he makes fantastic four people hate it he's off of of boba fett right and I, I've, I, that one seems really weird to me because to me, like the whole reason why he got Boba Fett from from what people are saying is because of his relationship with Simon Kinberg that he developed on Fantastic Four. So, like, what was was Kinberg like? Oh, this guy is really good. You should totally get him. And then when the movie came out, he was like, Oh no, he wasn't good. Or did something happen in between? I mean, it just seems bizarre that he was like hired on a personal relationship and then fired because of that experience, like the same experience that he was, you know. And obviously, who knows what happened there? But you know, that happened. And then Book of Henry comes out and you know, obviously, you know, bombs bad and like from a creative standpoint as well. And I, I was thinking like, this is, a, you know, you see this all the time. You see this with Nolan. You see this with everyone. This idea of like, I made a big movie 
Now, because of that big movie, I got a job making another big movie. But before I do that, I want to do something small and personal. And that's what Book of Henry was. It was a small personal movie, which he squeezed in between his two massive blockbusters. And yet I'm like, boy, it's kind of dangerous making like a small movie like that, because if it does bomb, is that grounds for termination off of your massive thing? Like if if he were and obviously who knows how the whole schedule thing works out either, but if he were you know, wanting to be much safer about this, you know, now, I mean, and maybe you'll see this with other filmmakers, like, he should have done Book of Henry after episode nine, you know what I mean? Because yeah, it's like, sure. actually, like, doing work could cost you your job, but yeah. the the other thing about that, which I, I just, I want your thoughts on this, you know, like, obviously, Trevorrow had been working on a story and everything for episode nine prior to the death of Carrie Fisher. And everyone seemed to be very happy with what was happening. Is it possible that regardless of any of the book of Henry stuff, and maybe the reason why this thing needs to be rewritten is because, you know, he said flat out, like episode nine was going to be, Leia's story like right I mean the first one was Han the second one was Luke the third one was going to be Leia like the way that they talk about that it sounds like they basically needed to start from scratch with episode nine is it possible that whatever he said that got him the job on episode nine whatever story that he had was really really great but then basically unusable after Carrie Fisher passed away and now you're scrambling you're hiring someone to basically start over and do something completely different which is not what you hired them for in the first place and maybe if let's say you know at the start you're like you can't use Leia what's your idea if he would have come up with something and they would have been like yeah no we're gonna go somewhere else like I'm wondering how much of that plays into it I, I think that's a valid take. Uh, I do, because I I do remember him saying that, and I th- I think that's completely valid. Maybe that is one of the things. Maybe maybe this one really is mutual. Maybe they were getting a, they hit an impasse, and Trevorrow was the first one to say, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think this is going to work. Who knows if it was actually Disney who did this. Maybe Trevorrow is the one that walked away. I mean, it would be hard to imagine, but... At the same time, it's entirely possible. And so, you know, I I think that's a a valid theory. But I think that the PR problem comes into play where no matter what, everybody's going to give Disney and Lucasfilm the hairy eyeball and say, no, no, no. We saw what you did before. We don't believe that this is the actual story. Because they even, look, they torched politely, quietly, uh, Lord Miller after the fact. All of a sudden, all of these Disney-friendly sources started talking about, well, you know, people applauded when Ron Howard came in. Oh, well, you know, there were problems with the script. Oh, well, Lawrence Kasdan wasn't happy. I'm going to watch carefully to see what stories get leaked to the press to try to absolve Disney on this one. Because with Trank, we all read stories, those of us who pay attention to them, about problems that he had that there was supposedly, you know, Fox let stuff out that he had conflicts with brass. 
There was that story that got out there that he had wrecked a hotel room during a fit. There, you know, so it, they they very carefully painted this picture that Trank was not going to be uh, stable enough to shepherd a big budget movie like this uh, that he had broken on Fantastic Four, basically. Then with Edwards, he at least stays on the project. So all of the stuff that leaks out about all of the reshoots and everything, you can say, well, he was good with it, though, and he wrote it out, and he, you know, he went along with things. But then you get to the, the, the Miller and Lord thing, which is a shock because they're almost done with it. And then you have those, those other stories coming out. And then, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting. I, I, I don't think anybody's insane enough to give their point of view on it. Uh, you know, Trevorrow is not going to do a uh, an interview where he says, oh, it's Disney's fault. He's going yeah. to say no comment or it was mutual or something like that. And because the, you know, it's not even the high road. It's he has the choice of that road if mm-hmm. he doesn't want them to torch him to the point where he doesn't work again. Because yeah. Trank is pretty much poison at this point with everything that came out. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, going back to the whole, like, uh, maybe, maybe it was that they were happy with his original script, but he couldn't, he couldn't adapt, you know, to, to the, the changing situation or whatever. And that was the reason for it. I mean, like, I, I just wonder, cause there's gotta be like a finished script or something close to it for a version of this movie with princess Leia like I know that we'll probably never ever see it, right? But I would love to read that screenplay and and wonder if maybe, in in a similar way to sort of like the stories that Kurtz has told about the original idea for Jedi, like is this like some sort of like great lost Star Wars movie which we'll never see? And you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I would throw out there that uh, another example of the times they are a change in to me is it is pretty much an open secret that Marquand was a bit in and over his head. Lucas was very controlling. Marquand no longer really felt in control of the picture. But at no point did Lucas fire Marquand. At no point did Lucas uh, disparage him. At no point did Lucas say, well, he just couldn't handle it. To this day, Lucas has never said anything negative about the directors. And people have asked, you know, they did ask Kirshner point blank because, you know, supposedly Lucas was very nervous because, you know, the funding almost got pulled. But Kirshner said that all Lucas ever said to him was, looks great, because that's Lucas's way of doing things as he keeps it medium. And he's just, that's great. And Kirshner said he never came at him. He never showed up on set and yelled at him. He never tried to steer anything. And Marquand, according to the Rinsler book that came out, you know, The Making of Return of the Jedi, delivered a, a cut that the only person that goes on record as saying, wow, we weren't quite sure what to do with this, was Kazanjian, who said there were editorial missteps about things. So what does Lucas do? Lucas comes in and he fixes it. And he says to his editorial team, this is what we're going to do. He says to his effects team, we need these pickup shots. Go in and make these pickup shots and we'll re-edit some stuff and we'll get things in order. It's just the starkest possible comparison between when Lucas was running the company and when the Disney machine is running the company. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, like I've seen some people talking about this too and it's true. It's like Star Wars has never been you know, sort of like a director-driven franchise. It's always been about 
it's always been kind of like a TV show where you have a showrunner, you know, in the case of the first six movies, it's Lucas, and then he's he hires directors or whatever from the outside in order to basically do the job which he tells them to do. And that's changed a bit, you know, now that he's gone because, yeah, you've got Kennedy, but she's not like a master storyteller like Lucas is who has this vision you know, she's much more of like a, a studio head in the, you know, classical sense who is very good at finding talent and nurturing them in order to create a good product. But it still is very much a product and it still is very much done by committee uh, instead of being, you know, auteur driven, which is why I, I always find it very strange with all of these things where where it's like we're hiring writer-directors, you know? Ryan Johnson is writing and directing episode 8. Colin Trevorrow is writing and directing episode 9. And it's like I'm surprised that you don't, like, have a stable of writers, have a writer's room like all of these other franchises do to, you know, churn out these ideas and then hire a director to come in and do it. I mean, they did that with Rogue One, you know, but... Like, Daldry is supposedly developing the Obi-Wan movie from scratch. I mean, the way that she's doing it makes sense, right? In order to sort of, like, create someone's personal vision of this movie. But then, but the the way that she is managing it after that is sort of, like, contradictory to this. You know, it's sort of like yeah. you're throwing, you know, a filmmaker out there and saying, like, do it. And then when they need help, it's like, all right, screw you, you know, you're gone. You know what I mean? I think you hit the nail on the head when you you mentioned Lucas as showrunner in that, and I've said this clumsily before online uh, to hilarious results, but there was a difference of somebody who had everything in their head who, yes, you know, there would be other people who had other ideas and those sorts of things, but you had somebody who had a vision that other people would come in and try to implement. And I think that they would benefit greatly at Lucasfilm to have a situation where they map things out. It doesn't need to be detailed, but there needs to be an outline. And this piggybacks on the fact that a story came out where they said they had no real plan after episode seven, that it was, that this is by their own admission that they had episode seven and they didn't really have anything beyond that sketched out. And it would have probably been a lot better and a lot smoother if they had said, we're going to make these movies. This is how they're going to tie together. And these are the points that we have to hit. I think that would have led to a smoother process. I think that that makes sense in, in this particular case where it's like, we're doing a trilogy, you know, because it's like, yeah, you're right. setting up things. I mean, you're, it's like long-form storytelling. It makes sense to have an outline for, for where you're going to go. And, you know, even if you're really lucky, have, you know, a single, you know, filmmaker to carry it through all the way, like you have with Dark Knight or whatever. Um, but part of me kind of loves the idea of saying, like, this is Abrams's movie, and he did what he's he's going to do, and it's a complete thing, and now... We're on to the next step, and that's Ryan Johnson's job to figure it out. 
you can have that absolutely and that's why i'm saying you know you still had other people bringing ideas to the table it's not like kirshner was a silent partner in the empire yeah. strikes back uh marquand eventually became a silent partner because there are a whole ton of ideas that he brought to the table that were later cut out but the uh but even he got you know he sat in the story conferences and it was lucas that would say no that that isn't quite where we're going with this and i think that um more to my point would be you can still have that unique story from everybody but wouldn't it have been best to know where the ending was or say more fleshed out background like th this gives me the impression if Lucas had come in and done episode seven and said I'm going to kick off this new trilogy I would know that going into episode seven there was at least a rough outline of what had been happening with Luke between Jedi and Force Awakens so then I'm not, the, the I'm impression not, I'm... I have now is that they said, well, he's missing. Why is he missing? We'll figure it out later. You know, it's two different ways of doing things. That's true. I mean, you, you really do need to sort of know where you're going. And if, if they really don't know why he's missing or whatever, then, I mean, that's not not a good way to go about it. I mean, because you're basically saying, I don't know why I'm doing this, right? And, I mean, certainly people have been able to make that work in the past, but... It's it's rare that that happens. It does seem like it would be better to have, you know, like one story, like treated as one story, you know, broken down into three movies and, you know, yeah, modify things as need be. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like where they're at now, you know, with I don't know that there is something about the way that they're doing it, which I, I appreciate in the sense that, you know, People have been asking, you know, Ryan Johnson, like, how much of it is, was locked in? How much of it? And he's like, I could do whatever I want, you know? And I guess, you know, it, like, that's kind of like what excited me about, like, the spinoff movies is that it really did feel like you could get, like, a, an auteur to come in and give their take on Star Wars. Whereas here, it's almost like, well, we're getting that more in the, in the, you know, trilogy movies than we are in, in the, in, in those. And yeah. that's kind of, I mean, I love the idea that we're going to get to see a movie, which is 100% Ryan Johnson. You know what I mean? That's I, awesome. Again, Maybe we're going to get to see two movies, which are 100% Ryan Johnson. The way things I, are going. Again, I still think that you can have a 100% Ryan Johnson movie, but still have things where I think where the problem comes in is the fact that they say make whatever movie you want the person makes whatever movie they want and they say no 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 it's it's like that old joke about dysfunctional relationships i love you you're perfect now change yeah well you're already married you can't expect that gareth edwards is suddenly going to become tony gilroy you yeah. you can't suddenly expect that colin trevorrow is going to become Ryan Johnson. I mean, maybe maybe Trevorrow lost the job because they're doing this rewrite thing and everybody is in fact so in love with episode 8 that they just have to have Ryan Johnson come back for it. Entirely possible. Yeah. A lot of people treating it that way. But I, we I, haven't seen episode 8 yet. Yeah, but but they have, you know. I mean, and I can definitely see, you know, that being the case and there was an interview which I I saw where Someone asked Ryan Johnson, would you come back and make another Star Wars movie? And he said, like, in a heartbeat, I loved it, you know? Maybe that's what cost uh, Trevorrow the job then. 
It could be. It, it could, could be, be as simple as that. Like, do you want to stick around for a little while? And he's like, yeah. But uh, see, what I think would be funny is, yes, I know they're happy with it. I know that all this, it, that, oh, we're happy with it. Oh, we think it's great. I think it would be funny if it were, It there are plenty of great films that have not been well received by audiences. Mm-hmm. It would, it would be a funny, not a funny ha-ha, but a funny twist of fate if they're all happy with it and they hire Ryan Johnson and they say, hey, we're going to do episode nine and they release episode eight and let's say episode eight is the best Star Wars movie we've ever seen. But it doesn't resonate with what the fans want and it it doesn't flop. None of these are, these are all flop proof. Mm-hmm. But they considered Batman versus Superman a disappointment because it didn't hit a billion. What if this only makes $800 million? And then all I mean, of a sudden, hey, Lucasfilm is in the position where they're like, um, uh, uh, and Disney is saying, whoa, 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 we need our billion per movie here. That That is like literally what just happened with Batman versus Superman, you know? Yeah. I mean, they hired Zack Snyder to do Justice League. I mean, do you think that if, if it had been segmented like that, do you think they would have brought Zack Snyder back to do Justice League after the performance of Batman versus Superman? No. No, I don't. I, don't. So I really don't because it underperformed expectations. It's the same reason that Singer didn't get uh, the next Superman movie after Superman Returns, which I think is a, I actually think is the second best Superman movie uh, ever made, and he doesn't get it because it underperformed expectations. And you look and Tron Legacy, you and I have both said Tron Legacy is a masterpiece, and I think Oblivion is great, but it's almost like Kaczynski is poison. And it, it because they didn't do what the studio wanted them to do. So no, I don't think Snyder would have come back for just, for Justice League, and I think that they run that risk with Ryan Johnson. You know that there will be people that see Episode Eight and think it's wonderful, but will enough people think it's wonderful? Yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see. I'm I'm very very curious, but uh, I don't know. You know, I, as far as this whole thing is concerned. I can't say that I'm sad to see Trevorrow go because I didn't really think he was a very good choice to begin with, but I, I do think it's disappointing that they can't keep someone around. I want to see someone's singular vision and not just filmmaking by committee. Let's you put know? it this way. Uh, to go back to the relationship thing, uh, I am related to somebody distantly who, when they got divorced the first time, Okay, this happens sometimes. When they got divorced the second time, well, okay, maybe you just made a couple of bad choices. By the time they got to their fifth marriage, I would be one of those people saying, there's a constant factor in these relationships. Perhaps it's time for some soul searching. Let's, <laughs> let, let's find out about us. You know, like, I don't know. That's me. That's me. That, that's my yeah. take on it. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 an, an interesting situation, and yeah, I mean, as long as these movies continue to be successful, I don't think that there's any um, desire to get rid of Kathleen Kennedy from this. Oh role. no, I, I'd never say get rid of Kathleen Kennedy. I think that this is just something that is uh, this this would be a difficult situation for anybody to control, and maybe the whole reason it's not a dumpster fire is because she's at the head. That could be, I mean, like, you've got to look at, like, what her job really is, you know, which is to, like, basically make a product. And there's no doubt that she's been doing a good job at that, you know? I mean, I've loved both things which she's put out. You know, I'm I'm 
liking everything that I see, you know, going forward or whatever, but like, I don't know, there, there's a part of me which is really just like, I'm willing to take the occasional crap movie in order to, you know, have there be a, a potential for like a masterpiece out there somewhere. Sure. Whereas right now everything is just like, that's good. That's good. That's good. You know, and it's like, okay, let's try to move on to great now, you know? Totally on board with you. And uh, this has been a very stimulating discussion. Uh, And it'll be interesting because I I want it to be a different director than Ryan Johnson just because I want to cover another filmmaker's work as we love to do. But I will say that uh, as exciting as this has been, what I want to do is I want to introduce to the audience something that we're going to do, inspired by another show here on the Nerd Party uh, called Owl Post, which is going through the Harry Potter books one chapter at a time. We are going to go through a uh, a lost alternate history version of the sequel to Star Wars, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, written in 1978, well, published in 1978, written by Alan Dean Foster. And uh, this is a book which was written that was from a concept for a low-budget sequel to Star Wars if the movie didn't do particularly well. So it speaks a lot to the direction of the franchise. Lucas still put, you know, had input, and a lot of the things that uh, Foster was able to bring back in were from the original script treatments that he got to see uh, for his ghost writing of the Star Wars novelization. So what Mike and I are going to do, I've read Splinter of the Mind's Eye twice in my life. I read it with my dad when I was a kid, and I read it later. Mike, you have not read Splinter of the Mind's Eye, correct? I read the comic book adaptation, which was altered to fit into continuity yes. uh, after the fact. Yes, it was It was very much altered to fit into, into continuity. But uh, we're going to... Go ahead. We're going to get our copies of Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. And every week, as part of the show, we are going to cover one chapter at a time and uh, talk about the different direction that we see or what similar elements we saw that made it into the films, even though this is the alternate sequel to Star Wars. So we invite everybody, if you have your copy, uh, dust your copy off of the bookshelf if you don't have a copy, you can go ahead and get a reasonably priced one, I'm sure, on any digital service or get a hard copy delivered to you via Amazon and, or your online service of choice, whatever. Although, hey, Amazon, sponsor us. And, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, join us in that journey, and that'll be starting next week. So in the interim, though, Mike, if people want to reach you, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do a show called Commentary Track Stars. And you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and another show called Stage 9 with you. That's right. You do Stage 9 with me, and that's over on Trek FM. And then you can come back here to the Nerd Party. You can listen to me on Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. If you want to drop a line to me, just look online and you will find me as Kessel Junkie. So until then, we will talk to you next week when we will start with our examination of Splinter of the Mind's Eye and give a little bit of a history of the writing of the book.
Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.